0: Hello and welcome to Guido Talks. My name's Tom Harwood and once again, I'm joined by founder and editor of Guido Forks Paul Staines and reporter Christian Calgi. So let's cover this week. Calgi, why don't you kick us off with the exclusive story we broke on Wednesday morning? Gladly.
1: Well, this was a, uh, an incredible admission uh, made in semi-private by Pritchett Patel, the Home Secretary, Uh, to a bunch of Tory supporters, which was that uh, she had wanted to close uh, the UK's borders to stop COVID coming in from abroad back in March, 2020. Uh, Far from this being an example of her following Keir Starmer's hindsight trick, um, uh, while researching for the story, uh, there was a piece in the Telegraph from last March, which reported arguments between the Home Secretary and the Prime Minister. But this was the first uh, conclusive proof uh, that the Home Secretary has been on the right side of this argument, but unfortunately, uh, had been continually overruled, primarily because the sage advice was so adamant back in March that closing the borders would have a negligible effect that the Prime Minister stuck with, understandably at the time, the scientific advisors. Um, but in, do, in admitting this of course she broke collective cabinet responsibility uh, and we had the recording to prove what she said. Oh it
2: should be a close-up order zone. the answer is yes. Um, I was mad because to closing
1: them last March. And so this clip got immediate pickup, uh, firstly from the press. Labour were very quick as the gates with a statement from the Shadow Home Secretary uh, and Keir Starmer actually picked up on this story uh, for his final two questions at PMQs, uh, which saw Boris actually hit back quite uh, quite forcefully and competently, actually. I thought it was quite a good showing from the Prime Minister, uh, pointing out that Keir Starmer hadn't been calling for this. In fact, uh, the Labour manifesto had been calling for open borders, especially with Europe, uh, and called him uh,
2: blowing around like a weather vane in the wind. Mr. Speaker, we've instituted one of the toughest border regimes in the world. And it was only last March that he, along with many others in his party, uh, were continuing to support uh, an open border approach. And I must say that the whole uh, experience of listening to the Right Honourable Gentleman over the last few months uh, has, has really been uh, like listening to a, a, a weather vane, watching a weather vane spin round and round depending on where the, the, the breezes uh, are blowing. Well, Boris
3: was well forearmed. I mean, he is a reader, so he'd have known what was coming at him, wouldn't he? So if he didn't figure out his answer before in the morning, what was going to come at P&Qs, we'd have um, been a bit surprised. And of course, the great irony
0: of all of this is throughout this pandemic, the Labour Party's line has been, why aren't you following the science? You have to follow the science. Sage is the only body that matters. You must follow their edict to the letter. And of course, it was Sage that at the beginning of this crisis was saying, no, don't close the borders. Don't go for heavy suppression. In fact, there was um, a, a number 10 press release. Uh, back in March that said what Italy was doing with regard to shutting its borders and shutting down was populist and anti-science because of course all the scientific advisors were telling the government to not do that and they followed the science to the letter and perhaps if we had more pretty Patels on Sage and fewer Susan Mitchies or anyone else um, of of esteemed academic credentials. Perhaps if we had more lay people on SAGE, we'd have actually got a better outcome. But leaving that to one side, that's a contentious argument for another time (laughs) that I'm sure will run and run. Uh, It was a very interesting episode of Politics Live this week. Not only did our exclusive story get mentioned, but also there was a punchy bust up between Tom Tugendhart, the chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, and Baroness Chakrabarti. Uh, let's have a look at what he called her. Sorry, it is the job of the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom to get on with the President of the United States. And I'm, forgive me, it's a bit rich of Shammy to talk about cosying up when she only got her peerage because she cosied up and covered up anti-Semitism in the Labour Party.
3: Well,
1: that's just not true. So it um, uh, You know it. Well, let Shammi respond. That, 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 is, that is not true. That is a lie. Um, it's unworthy of you, Tom. I'll leave it like that.
3: Tom? So the entire Jewish
0: community sees you as having covered up the anti Semitism well. that the Corbin administr or the Corbin uh, Labour Party. Re- oh,
1: re- right. re- read my report and read the latest EHRC
2: report and, and don't throw slurs around that are beneath you.
0: Now, of course, absolutely everyone in Parliament, from the Labour Party to the Tories to the Lid Dems, uh, talk about that sort of stuff behind Baroness Chakrabarti's back. But to say it to her face really takes some guts, especially on live TV. So props to Tom Toon there, I suppose
1: away from Westminster, meanwhile in Wales, where Mark Drakeford continues to butcher up almost every aspect of the country's response to the pandemic. He was out on uh, the Today programme on Monday morning, trying to explain why uh, Wales had taken a deliberate approach to slowing down the vaccine rollout. Uh, He promised that this wasn't happening with Oxford, but apparently when it comes to Pfizer, because the country has to spread out its stocks until the start of February. They've decided to uh, ration the doses being administered, even though it is blatantly more logical to bunch them up at the start and give as many people as much immunity as quickly as possible, rather than trying to, I don't know, come up with some sort of equitable, um, averaged out way of administering the uh, vaccine.
3: Something's becoming clear in the pandemic, because we're focusing more on the devolved countries, is some of these people aren't ready for prime time. Drakeford could run a local council
0: that's the,
1: i think it's,
3: that's a, it's absolutely a
0: right he was installed after some sort of scandal though wasn't he the um carwin jones was the first minister it all um got into a bit of a mess he resigned and mark drakeford who's very much from the corbynite school of the labor party just got suddenly imposed there and, and he really hasn't known, been known what he's doing since
1: it is certainly the general consensus that only in wales where labor could uh put up any sort of, you know, blob with a Labour rosette on and it would get elected. Could Mark Drakeford realistically rise to the top? I know plenty of Welsh politicians, and he is not the cream of the crop. Uh, Unfortunately, however, there was another big story in Wales this week, which rather distracted, not only from Drakeford's uh, specific failure on the vaccine, but the wider catching up up until this point of the Tories with Labour, a poll out earlier in the week, had them just three points behind. But that could all change after news came out that, uh, uh there was a, there was a, an illicit party, boozy party in the Senate, which involved four members of the assembly, three Tories, the leader, the chief whip, and a third member of the Senate and a Labour member who was already been suspended.
3: That's right,
0: this was a group that was being... What
1: excuse for the give
3: for not suspending the
1: other three? Well, the excuse, the, the, shouldn't the the excuse for them, uh, them is that they were hosting a meeting for a potential uh, hearts bill. Uh, the details of this bill have not come out, but what we do know is that this uh, supposed business meeting went on to at least 2 a.m., at which point they all staggered out, leaving behind multiple empty wine and whiskey bottles.
3: So <laughs> it seems like I'm knocking more than a, a business meeting.
0: And the, and the thing here is that for every Friday for the last few years, this same group of people have been boozing together down the pub. So it doesn't take much to sort of put two and two together and see that this sudden business meeting where yes, they were potentially uh, discussing this um, heart, issue, which I know the Labour member of the Senate had been um, uh, campaigning on before. So it is a somewhat credible excuse, but I think the Tories in Wales are interpreting that rather generously uh, in terms of letting their people off, especially given it's the leader and the chief whip.
3: Would I be right in thinking this business meeting was on a Friday?
0: I think that's exactly when it was, Paul.
1: I
3: rest my case. No further
0: questions, my lord. Better be a good bill. Right. Well, with that, I think it's probably time to return to Westminster because there was a controversial vote at the start of the week there as well. What happened was it was the Opposition Day motions. There were two uh, seismic motions brought forward by the Labour Party on the Monday. And these were designed to embarrass the government. Of course, they're they're bills that don't actually become law, they're non-binding motions. And the government's decision was to just not turn up, not vote on them, abstain, so that there could be less political damage done by these um, well-crafted and cannily named motions. However, in order to force a division, there had to be some sort of opposition. So what happened? The Labour Party submitted two tellers for the no's and when it came to the vote by acclamation had to manufacture dissent. So it was Labour MPs shouting no behind their masks against their own motion. Uh, This got them into a little bit of trouble on social media later on when they were putting out all of these stories about how the Tories refused to back help for whether it was school children or people on universal credit. Uh, And actually it was the Labour politicians who are the only people who voiced any dissent in the chamber at all. I think we can have a look at this clip now of the very clear shouts coming from the benches on the right-hand side of the chamber, the Labour benches. You can hear multiple MPs shouting no.
2: The question is the opposition motion as on the order paper. As many as are of that opinion say aye. Aye. Of the contrary, no. No.
3: Division, clear the lobby.
0: Now, the reason why this matters is that there are actually some rules in the House of Commons. I know you might not have thought that there were any rules, particularly over the last four years, and particularly when John Burko was sitting in the Speaker's chair, it felt like there were very few, if no rules. But actually, there is a rule book that was written in the 1800s. It's called Erskine May. It sort of codifies some of the conventions of the House. And one of them Um, that we helpfully highlighted on the site on Tuesday was that your vote must follow your voice. If you, during an acclamation, shout no but then vote yes, it's your your voice that counts more than your vote. So we pointed this out and actually there was a, a member of parliament, the new Tory MP for Ipswich, who took this up with the speaker. Uh, Unfortunately, that complaint got battered away by the Speaker's office. It turns out that the Labour Whip's office put up a big fight in terms of who was actually shouting and there's no particular record of that, which is a shame. I think we should probably get VAR for the House of Commons, see exactly where this stuff's coming from, because it's a clear egregious breach of those rules. So suffice to say I'm pretty sure the Tories will be watching out a lot more keenly next time Labour tries to pull a stunt like this. But it wasn't just the Labour whips office that were sticking their foot in it this week, because front bencher Lisa Nandy, the Shadow Foreign Secretary, gave a gushing interview to The Guardian on Wednesday morning. Uh, That of course was the day that Joe Biden was being inaugurated as the new US President. And Lisa Nandy, in an incredibly ham-fisted way, tried to link a lot of things that Donald Trump had done to things that Boris Johnson had done. And the one example, the one peculiar example she dragged up above all others, was saying that Boris Johnson, by defending the statue of Churchill in Parliament Square, was trying to stoke a culture war in the same way that Donald Trump responded to the Charlottesville riots. Now comparing a riot where kind of Ku Klux Klan members waving tiki torches and shouting Jews will not replace us to saying that you probably shouldn't graffiti statues, saying that those two are in any way this related or the same thing is just grossly offensive to people on both sides of the channel not least of all lisa nandy's own party leader kia starmer who came out with exactly the same line on the churchill statue and actually one step further he said that the edward colston statue in bristol should not have been torn down too so it's so funny that lisa nandy reserves these words and these comparisons for boris johnson but when her own party leader doing exactly the same thing she says nothing of it
3: We also have another Churchill row going on because the bust of Churchill, which was so proudly put into the White House in 2017 after a bit of controversy, has now been moved out to make way for Cesar Chavez, a socialist trade unionist, which um, seems to be quite a culture change over there. This of course was the bust that was originally loaned
0: to Barack Obama. Um, No, it wasn't, it was originally loaned to George Bush, I think, and Obama removed it when he got into office. And there was a big hullabaloo. One of the people making a hullabaloo over that was one Boris Johnson in the Daily Telegraph. Um, So it's curious to see that he's much more emollient now towards the idea (laughs) that Winston Churchill might be removed from the Oval Office.
3: If you've seen a bit more aggression from Labour online, could it be because they've hired a former IDF military intelligence officer specializing in digital warfare to do their Twitter account. I kid you not Was Starmer actually trying to troll the Corbynites? Your guess is as good as mine But Asaf Kaplan, and this is not in doubt, did used to work for unit 8200 which is the uh, Israeli Defense Forces equivalent of GCHQ on um, Cyber warfare and now he's doing Twitter for the Labour Party. This obviously went down as well as you can imagine with the comrades who think it's a terrible shame. Uh, I, for one, I'm quite looking forward to more aggression on Twitter with Asaf. He already seems to be stealing some of our material, I noticed, when he reused our recording of Pretty Patel's uh, candid comments without even asking permission <laughs> or a of royalty. We're watching you. Asaph. Should we
0: have a listen to that new Sinister Attack ad now? Oh,
2: should we close up orders only? The answer is yes. Um, I was mad because of
3: the close of them last March. Asab, you owe me (laughs) a pint. Of course, it'd be worth
1: focusing on the biggest news, not only of the week, but almost certainly of the month. And that was the end of America's Trump era. And we said hello to Joe Biden in the White House, uh, not to be outdone on the day of tradition and procedure, uh, ever the showman Trump orchestrated uh, an almighty exit Uh, from Washington DC setting off in the jet whilst Frank Sinatra's My Way blasted from speakers as the final lines reached their climax we uh, got to see the end of the Trump era so let's have a quick copyright inclusive look at that
2: Yes it was my.
0: is just like a film isn't it when you see air force <laughs> one take off almost into the sunset perfectly as the, i'm so sorry for the people that are listening as the audio podcast have a look at this on youtube the wheels of the plane literally lift up at the second that frank sinatra stops singing it is beautiful <laughs>
1: Some might say it was certainly uh, beautiful to see the back of the guy, but uh, (laughs) back home uh, we saw a bit of a a diplomatic tightrope walking from Boris, uh, who was asked just a brilliant question, interview question by Sam Coates. Simply, is Joe Biden woke? And Boris was pretty flummoxed. (laughs) Let's have a look at that.
2: Do you think... Some senior politicians in Britain seem to think that President Biden is woke. I, I can't comment on that. I, 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 but what I know is that he's a fervent believer in the transatlantic uh, alliance, and, um, uh, and that's a great thing, and a believer in uh, a lot of the things that uh, we want to achieve together. And, you know, insofar as um, you know, nothing wrong with being. Being all woke if, uh, but I've, what I can tell you is that uh, I think that it 's very, very important for uh, everybody uh, to and I'm certainly I, I will put myself in the category of people who believe that uh, it 's important to stick up for your uh, your history or your, 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 your traditions and uh, thing and your, uh, your your values and things you believe in
3: Boris is really squirming there, but it is a fair question is Biden woke. I mean, he's put his foot into it a lot of times. There's that famous social media clip where he gets LGDPQ <laughs> plus all muddled up, and and he, um, he he sometimes doesn't know which community he's talking to, and he gets all the communities muddled up, and he just. Sort of Peter's off into silence. I think if if think we're taking the word more than one occasion, if we're something. taking the word
0: woke to mean physically awake, I think he's probably about as far from that. <laughs> as <he possibly> can. <laughs> <laughs> but but in terms of the real meaning of the word, like as, as far as it's sort of barged its way into our political lexicon, it means a certain type of sort of radical uh, on the on the far left of of a left-wing party. And that's certainly not what Joe Biden is. He's a bloody centrist, for God's sake. He's someone on the moderate wing of the Democrat Party who stood against all of the crazy Bernie Sanders proposals in the primaries. I don't think it's particularly uh, accurate to describe him as some sort of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez type mould. It's fair to say he might be a bit pushed around by those people, but to say that he himself is, I think is going a bit far.
1: My only observation is I think it's quite um, impressive how he is a social liberal or progressive, as uh, some might say in America, but it it didn't really feature much um, as a debate. You know, in this country, the Labour Party's position on, uh, for example, trans rights seems to constantly be making news and actually the whole democratic movement uh, or certainly the, the the leadership of it, managed to push forward a fairly uh, inoffensive, yes, centrist, certainly center-left, uh, progressive set of policies. And it didn't actually hold Biden back. And I think uh, Lisa and Andy could certainly do with looking at that as to make an inoffensive platform uh, of progressive
0: social policies for an election. I mean, if the Labour Party want to adopt the Biden platform, they'll be backing guns. They'll be backing private healthcare. They'll be backing <laughs> a, a a, fracking. They'll be, I mean, my God, if the Labour Party can adopt the Biden agenda, they'll be the most right wing party in this yeah. country since Margaret Thatcher. they will be a government for two decades. That, that... Right. Well, we should probably move on from that diplomatic potential row that uh, Boris blundered into in the latter half of this week. Because of course, there is another diplomatic row a bit closer to a home that is brewing and that is for the most fervent Eurosceptics who tend to be the people who know most about aspects of the European Union. For example, the embassies that the European Union has around the world, the people they call its ambassadors, despite sometimes insisting it's not yet a federal state. I'm not quite sure how a trading organisation has ambassadors that are sent around to different countries and, and are treated like ambassadors of states, but this is what the EU tries to do. And the UK, Brexit Britain, has said no. We, we're not going to give your pretend ambassadors from your pretend country the same rules and rights and, uh, and freedoms that we grant to the ambassadors of real countries. Um, so it seems to me that there's a very easy way to sort of... Um, to, to, to assuage this ra- this row because, of course, everyone's got, got, got involved in it now. Michael Bar- Michel Barnier uh, has uh, waded into it on Thursday afternoon saying that the EU is not a trading organisation. We We're so much more than that. Um, you need to grant diplomatic status to our diplomats. Well, here's a deal, Michel. How about you revoke the diplomatic status from the 27 ambassadors from all of the countries that make up the European Union, just in the same way that New York or Texas or California don't get individual ambassadors to this country. And once you've revoked all of those uh, special privilege- privileges from all of those ambassadors that are in the UK, then then you can get your ambassador.
1: Earlier this week, we followed up on uh, a story we'd already run, pointing out that both Labour and the Tories have agreed a uh, campaigning ceasefire, Uh, ahead of the local elections uh, that we now know will be going ahead in May. Uh, Both have agreed not to send activists out to deliver leaflets by hand or go door knocking. However, the Liberal Democrats are pushing on regardless. Their official guidance claims that under the rules, volunteering is a legal excuse uh, to ignore certain Covid restrictions and the Lib Dems claim that their activists are volunteering. However this week we finally got a police officer from Devon uh, saying that their legal advice says political campaigning is not uh, an exemption from the rules and therefore it is breaking the rules to go and do this. Some have argued that the police shouldn't be enforcing the spirit of the law. However, we dug out a unfortunate tweet from uh, the party leader, Ed Davey, uh, back in 2019, regards to Boris Johnson uh, uh, claiming that Boris should go to court for ignoring the spirit of the law. Uh, The Lib Dems to this day
3: continue, I believe, to push out leaflets by hand. Talking of COVID cheats, Who was that guy, the Brussels journalist who uh, cheated on the EU stats and made out that their jabbing was ahead of UK Oh, this
0: was brilliant.
3: (laughs) This was Dave Keating, uh,
1: who is, uh, by his own admission, uh, broadly unemployed, uh, but came out this week with some excellent stat analysis, which showed that if you... Uh, ignore uh, the ramping up over the last two weeks of Britain's vaccine rollout and uh, if you ignore the fact that Britain made the bold decision to start vaccinating a month before the European Union that actually the playing field levels out. Uh, The EU jab stats do indeed improve when counted differently. Uh, This is the same uh, Remainer Dave Keating, by the way, who last March was one of the now humiliated uh, bunch of people who suggested that by not participating in the European Union's vaccine rollout, Britain uh, would it would be difficult for Britain to access the rollout in the first place. Uh, so the tables are very much turned when it comes to pro EU spin.
0: I mean, it is just so brazen, isn't it? To say that Brexit means you'll get these vaccines later. And then the fact that the UK gets them first, they he then decides to make this chart where he just ignores the first few weeks or the first month of vaccine rollout that happened in this country before the others. I made a comparison on Twitter actually, which is something like if you, uh, yeah, okay. uh, Technically America got to the moon first, but if you start counting from when China began its moon program. Actually, they got there for, I mean, it's all just nonsense. It's total nonsense. And it's just such an an extraordinary cope because you know, deep (laughs) down what he's doing is ridiculous. But there's one statistical observation that you can make in earnest. And that is between these four countries that started vaccinating at exactly the same time on exactly the same day, the four nations of the United Kingdom. And what started out was that Scotland was ahead. Per person, Scotland was vaccinating more than any other country. But very quickly, that turned around. And we ran a story this week to show that actually Northern Ireland was vaccinating the most quickly uh, and most impressively in the UK, followed by England. And then a significant gap emerges where you get to Scotland and Wales, who have control over their vaccine rollout and don't seem to be doing a very good job. In fact, a cynic might argue that the countries led by Arlene Foster and Boris Johnson, people on the right of the political spectrum, seem to be getting this rollout done better, a lot better than the countries led by Mark Drakeford and Nicola Sturgeon. (laughs)
3: <laughs> more more, interesting, from my point of view, was that first date story with the Tory staffer girl who... <laughs> uh,
1: this was the broadcast highlight of 2021, forget the crown, forget Love Island, this was excellent viewing. The Tory party uh, unknowingly walked into a disaster of a TV broadcast when a ultra posh Tory staffer from Fulham, who she claims is not a posh part of London, tried to find love on Primetime Channel 4 and came out with some amazing quotes, including...
2: A stereotypical Tory is a man wearing tweed um, on a country estate. I don't think I'm a stereotype at all. I don't like the countryside. I don't like muddy stuff and, you know, I hate animals, so maybe don't put that in. <laughs> So, where back do you live? Uh, Peckham. Oh, Peckham. Mm. I've been there once, I think. I had a teacher at school who would refuse to oh, speak to me. Oh, did you to go me. to a posh posh school, or? It's a private school. It is. a private school. Oh, it's a, 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 a private school. They're not all posh. It was a cheap private school. Oh. It was a. It was a cheap <laughs> private oh, school. A terrible thing to say.
1: Despite all those amazing quotes, she claims she is not a stereotypical conservative. Uh, she's since been in touch, uh, to say thanks for the article and I'm going to take that at face value.
3: She uh, turned out she applied for the job via Tinder. I, I saw a story in the Daily Mail back archive that she couldn't find a job and she put a CV on Tinder and that is how she got hired. That's what you get when you hire people off Tinder. <laughs> uh, one last story that caught her eye when the. Uh, Members' Register of Interests was published this morning, Thursday, and that was somebody has taken upon them to give Ed Davey £1,500 and specifically £1,500 for a suit. Uh, if you've seen pictures of him, he uh, does rock a suit not that well, I'm afraid, so it uh, could be money wisely spent, but £1,500 for a suit. Does make you look a bit out of touch.
0: Well, we'll be keeping an eye on Ed Davey in any future Commons appearances to see just how sharply this. <laughs> when one he turns up in his time. top hat. <laughs> I'm expecting a cane, I mean, I'm, expecting an a place, tail, I'm expecting a waistcoat. I want him to put Jacob rees Mogg to shame. To shame. <laughs> well with that i think that's probably enough to round off an episode so thank you so much for sticking with us for another episode of guido talks uh if you're new to the show remember to click subscribe on youtube or apple podcasts or google podcasts or wherever you're listening to it now remember we're not just an audio podcast we're a video podcast too so get the full experience to see all the clips make sure you follow our youtube channel and so with that we'll see you next friday